This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 5, Episode 26. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 26 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihetten and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihetten. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. So today we're speaking with Jason Swanson, Director of Strategic Foresight at KnowledgeWorks. And in his role, he gets to explore the future of learning, helping stakeholders translate future insights into forward-thinking visions for transforming education. He's explored how trends and developments such as artificial intelligence, blockchain, augmented and virtual reality might impact learning today and into the future. He has authored dozens of articles and forecasts, including the future of work and readiness, the future of credentials, the expansion and diversification of educator roles, and the creation of learning ecosystems. A graduate of the University of Houston's Master of Foresight program, Jason is also a fellow in the Royal Society for the Encouragement of the Arts, Manufacturers, and Commerce, the RSA, and a board member for the Association of Professional Futurists. A little bit about KnowledgeWorks, it has nearly 20 years of experience exploring the future of learning, growing educator impact, and working with state and federal policymakers. The KnowledgeWorks team partners with schools and communities to grow a system-wide approach to sustain student-centered practices so that every child graduates ready for what's next. So thanks for being on the podcast, Jason, to talk about this exciting topic. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's start out with what's your personal connection to this idea of strategic foresight and education? Because it's uh, it's a bit of a niche topic. Yeah, a little bit, right? Um, you know, we don't often see uh, want ads for futurists or you know <laughs> practice strategic foresight. But um, you know, my path to to this role and to kind of the futures field was somewhat circuitous. I. Uh, you know, I graduated uh, from college, from my undergraduate degree in, in 
with a degree in public policy and research and survey methods. And, uh, you know, as I think is often the case when I entered the working world, uh, kind of the realities of work and career were not uh, in line with my expectations, right? So that, <laughs> that, that myth and metaphor that I was told growing up did not hold. Um, so I bounced around a lot, right? I, I, I tried a lot of different jobs in a lot of different fields and nothing, I felt just quite lost. Um, but along the way, I ended up going to a seminar uh, that was put on by a friend of mine. He was a philosophy professor and he was gonna bring in this guy that was a futurist. Never heard of a futurist before. But I knew that this, this gentleman put on interesting seminars, so I figured, yeah, well, I've got nothing to lose. So I went, and um, the futurist that was there was supremely talented, super funny. Um, and I, I had what I would call a lightning bolt moment, where as he was talking, this was uh, pre-2008, um, so it was before the crash, he was talking about mega trends and sort of the U.S. and scenarios of a financial crash. Um, so, you know, very astute with what was going on in a way that many people weren't. I, I just, I was like, I could do this. For the first time in my life, I, I had an end point in terms of a career ever, um, even through high school and through college. So I did what any rational human being would do is I cornered him. <laughs> hey. I've never heard of this. This is so cool. Like how, like how do you get to be this this thing? And and you know, obviously you could at it. Um, so he told me he told me his career path, um, which you know he came from the competitive intelligence world uh, and was mentored by a rather famous futurist. And I sat down and I was really excited because I had an endpoint, but I I was also sort of confused because I didn't quite have a pathway at this point, right? Again, this this is a very niche job, right? And I'm having this really intense personal moment. And uh, the gentleman that was sitting right next to me at, at my table said, hey, I went to the University of Houston. I, I do the same thing as this guy does, but I do it for a kind of global finance. Boom, now I had a pathway. So I left there. Uh, that night, I, I looked up. I was like, oh, there's grad programs for this. I found the University of Houston. I found another place. At the time, there were only three places in the US you could learn about this, this type of work or this methodology. Uh, so University of Houston, University of Hawaii, and Regent University. And I wrote to all three, um, began to do more research. I found out Hawaii, or rather Houston, was the longest running program in the world for this and was pure method. Right, so pure competency-based, mastery-based method. Uh, so I applied. I never thought I would go back to school. At the same time, I was working for a cyber charter school in Pennsylvania. Uh, so along the way, uh, the director of marketing at the cyber charter school saw a lot of the intro work I was doing at Houston and said, that's really cool, had me show it to the CEO. Uh, CEO said, we could really use this, right? Like, this is interesting stuff. I think you know, broader awareness of trends outside of education to kind of think through of trends to relate back to education on the whole as it relates back to their school specifically. So I was able to recast my job. 
So now I get to learn by doing. So I, I'm doing the work, albeit at a very low level for the school. Uh, I was learning about, you know, the method and the craft of being a futurist. And I also became like very, what I would call productively obsessed. <laughs> so I'm also volunteering and looking for mentors with anybody that knew more than I did in the field. So I gained a lot of experience outside of education as well. So, um, you know, doing things, working on foresight projects for automotive companies, for the British Crown, for writing technology briefs. Um, so just anybody, anybody that knew more than me, I wanted to learn from them. Uh, it was my world, still is my world. I'm probably more obsessed with it now than when I was first discovering this. Um, so along the way and gaining all that experience, I, I learned a couple things about myself. I learned that as much as I like the intellectual exercise of working for companies in the private market, for me, my heart really rested with education. So uh, to me, education is the, one of the biggest leverage points for creating systemic change and really improving everyone's lives, right? Um, as cool as it is to help a company sell a thousand more autonomous cars, uh, yeah. to, me, to me, when I, I look at the true purpose of education, it's to provide a pathway to raise the quality of life for those involved. And not just, hey, we're gonna get you better jobs, right? But deeper questions with, this is a, a very potent tool to do things like reweaving a social fabric in times of deep, deep change, uh, to help young people develop those skills, knowledge, and dispositions to navigate a highly uncertain future. And in time when all our institutions feel like they're in flux to equip them with the tools to develop those new that new understanding and the, those means and modes of operating to create new societal agreements for what all of our futures might be like. Uh, you know, in, in short, no society has ever gotten worse because its its citizens are more educated, more rational, and display more agency. Mm -hmm. So I, I saw futures thinking and foresight as being a really potent tool to help make that change to work with educators to help them understand change at a deeper level, to think about it in multiple narratives of what could be and should be and what might be, but more, more specifically to, to move from that very human reaction of going, oh my goodness, I've got all this change and it's happening to me and I can't do anything. But to flip that and say, here's all this change, how am I gonna harness it and expand my own possibility or my own thinking around what might be possible and desirable for learning so that we can have our young people become more engaged at active learning and they can have that own lightning bolt moment that I had where they become productively obsessed with, with their own education. So that's such a great story and talks to the importance of those sort of serendipitous moments in life. So just by attending that lecture, you unearthed and uncovered this, you know, passion that now your your um, passion is your work. And, Absolutely. And we should all be so lucky mm -hmm. to live yeah. a life where that's the case. It, it's the, the greatest gift I could have given myself. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that you bring it back to how do we give more more of our learners that gift, right? How do we create those opportunities? How do we help learners uncover the passion for learning and their agency um, so they too can find their niche? 
absolutely. And I'm biased, right? Like, so I had that experience <laughs> and then everything else fell into place mm-hmm. in terms of the work I had to do both academically, uh, both outside of, of my, the pursuits in my graduate program. But I think that when you have that, that very bold and rich aspirational vision for what you want and the self-confidence and, and sort of mental model that's achievable for you, you will you will climb mountains to make that mm-hmm. happen, right? And you know, if we can give our young people, if we could play that critical role in helping young people to develop very bold aspirational visions, mm-hmm. have the the resiliency and the self confidence to realize that they could make that happen, and then say, you know what? As you are exposed to more, as you get older, that vision's going to change, and that's totally cool that's totally all right because we're going to equip you really with the skills the knowledge the dispositions to go for no matter what um man can you imagine what a world we would <laughs> live? like it'd be fantastic very exciting so let's dive into the new forecast five yeah. navigating the future of learning you know what's the why behind the forecast why should we as school and district leaders and um, our communities organize conversations around this work yeah, so that, that's a great question. Uh, so as I mentioned before, um, all of our forecasting work is not based on predictions. So this is not an exercise in accuracy, right? So what I like to say is that we're in the business of depiction, not prediction. Hmm. So if you were to, to engage with this material, right, that's it's not my hope or my aim for this, right? So if, if we were to predict the long-term future with any sort of accuracy, in some level of predetermination at work, right? That the future's figured out, none of our present day actions would have meaning. So we like to say we're in the business of depiction. So the utility of a piece like 5.0 is one, to gain a, a broader idea of those forces of change that are acting to shape the world and by extension they're changing the context for which our education system rests and then it also has deep implications for the system itself right so my hope is that for education stakeholders that engage with the work and they have conversations one to expand kind of their idea of what's happening in the outside world right inbound change um, as educators we, we've got a fairly decent idea of the trends that are happening within education but we don't usually have time or luxury out of the region. so that's number one number two is really with those depictions of the future to start thinking about specifically the, those trends and those changes we identify and then what might be made possible because of them now trends slow down, they speed up, they reverse, they combine with other trends. So to develop that mindset of thinking through multiple narratives of what might happen, I, I think is a whole is a very healthy exercise for all of us. But you know, specifically for those tasked with with running schools, right? It is I think that we typically approach change in a very linear fashion. We, we've got to keep the school and the classroom moving. Um, but the idea that maybe change the thing uh, and, and to maybe think through that. So, you know, 
if the, engaging in this, the ultimate result is to kind of broaden their own sense of what might be possible. Not it. The, the images in this document are going to happen, but they illustrate possibility and allow us to kind of engage in that if-then-so type thinking. So if these things are desirable, uh, if we believe they're plausible, if we believe that there is something that maybe we want to mitigate against that, so then what are the implications for us? What do we have to start doing today or tomorrow? What do we have to continue to do? What might we have to maybe put more urgency behind in terms of our plans and our initiatives? What it what issues on the horizon might we want to monitor and just be aware of? Um, so yeah, our, my hope is that in engaging in this work, we, we develop a, a deeper sense, a broader sense of what might be possible. But, you know, beyond that, that these stakeholders see themselves as being active agents of change, knowing they can shape the future and they can plan for it and so that they can begin to steer all that change towards a, a place that may be desirable. Mm -hmm. So at the core of it is really sort of changing the way that we think about the future in terms of that we can actually shape it rather than it being done to us, sort of we're victims of whatever comes at us type of things. So we have to change that mindset. And I guess we start doing that by looking at these drivers of change. So in the in the 5.0 forecast, you uh, share with the readers five drivers of change. Can you give our, our listeners a, a glossing over of what are some of those things that are driving change right now? Yeah, I would be happy to. So um, both this forecast and our previous numbered forecast 4.0 deal with what we would consider a, a big narrative of change at, at its root that influences these five drivers. And us, that, that big narrative of change is the idea that we're in the midst of an era shift. So that we're moving from one hit point in history with certain defining features to another for us, that that defining feature, or the, those those new characteristics, is really the need to partner with the code and our digital devices to make sense of the world around us. And this is being driven by the exponential advances of digital technologies. So if we were to, to lay that as the groundwork uh, for the big narrative of change, this dovetails really nicely into our five drivers of change in forecast 5.0. So these are changes that are happening external to education that we believe are reshaping the world and by extension have deep, deep implications for learning and for education. So the first one, we're calling automating choices, really has to do with the proliferation of artificial intelligence and machine learning really at, at all levels of our lives, from our smartphones and our apps to uh, machine learning being used in business and in government, and really the promises and pitfalls there. So on one hand, that gives us a very high degree of personalized services. And at the same time, it's it's creating at times almost an illusion of choice or free will because everything is being brokered and curated for so that's our first driver. Our second driver is one we're calling accelerating brains. It has to do with advances in neuroscience, a kind of coming up to and being buffered and supported by uh, advances in sort of consumer-facing technologies, all would, or 
designed to really enhance us at a neurological level. So this is really exploring the ways that we're intentionally and unintentionally kind of altering our cognition. So seeing a lot of things on, on sort of the consumer side, uh, ranging from wearables to video games designed to enhance cognition, treat things like PTSD and anxiety. Uh, so those would sort of be the intentional ways we're kind of muddling around with our cognition. And then the unintentional side would be, you know, just like that, the, the major thesis for our era shift, we're dependent largely now on digital devices to make sense of the world. That digital layer um, is impacting us unintentionally too. So we're, we're seeing that we're having a biological price to pay uh, as we engage more deeply with these technologies. So um, for instance, re repeated use of Google and sort of that's, uh, you know, search and destroy mentality when thinking <laughs> Effects, has a biological effect on us, right? So it's supercharging our short-term memory at the expense of our long-term memory. Um, so that driver really plays around with that notion. Uh, a third driver of change we're calling toxic narratives, uh, which really looks at sort of the epidemic of anxiety and chronic health disease in all people, but specifically young people. Rise of things like social pollution, which is kind of breakdown of positive connections uh, because of factors uh, such as a change that are changing work environment um, you know environmental volatility uh, and not the le not the least written large is just this idea that our metrics of success are maybe outdated um, as our system moves and reconfigures. So this is creating a, a lot of stress and a lot of pressure uh, that we're seeing popping up in, in ways that are just wholly not positive. Um, so that's, if that's our third, our fourth, we would call remaking geographies, which has to do with uh, cities and communities um, really reinventing themselves in the, the midst of deep change. Uh, so looking at really novel revitalization strategies, uh, things like notions like education as, as strategies, um, and really just interesting ways that we might begin to, def interesting ways in which we can define uh, a place in the future against admissible. Um, our last driver and specific superpowers is really based on a driver of change, whereas we're seeing civic action moving from what I would call the town square into being powered by the digital sphere. So this is looking at nonprofits, uh, citizen actors, um, and other groups that are really utilizing digital technologies to kind of assemble and connect over issues in the face of a growing governance gap. Um, and it, you know, it's my belief that that governance gap, at least at the federal level, is being driven both by accelerating technologies and also just a, a longer term trend towards decentralization, where, you know, we've got kind of a, a log jam at the federal level and they would kick decisions back down to the state. The state would decide on things and kick it back up to the federal level. So we've got, um, citizens groups and, and nonprofits really using these accelerating technologies to highlight issues, to raise money, to raise awareness, and to assemble in a moment's, a moment's notice 
in ways that just frankly weren't possible years ago. So um, this is really creating a set of essentially as we outlined in superpowers that are, are new and novel and allowing us to kind of supercharge our, our right to assemble in ways that frankly just aren't possible uh, ago. Mm-hmm. And in the forecast you give a little bit of an overview and you also have a couple of questions there on the side for us as educators to think about how that particular driver could impact our learners, our organization. Um, so it makes it easy to, to have some conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we, we want this to be not only image or issue framing, right? But we, we want this to have utility, right? So the more that we can involve the reader, the, the more on-ramps we can give to put this into your own context, uh, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never, ever want to work with our stakeholders and sit down and tell them what the future is going to be. The mm-hmm. future is going to be different than that for everyone, mm-hmm. right? Right. Context so we matters. Could, absolutely. So if we could frame these issues and then say, what does this mean for you, right? Because th- these are five drivers, a big narrative of change, depending on where you sit, depending on where you live, you're going to experience these at at a different rate and at a different depth. And you're going to experience other drivers of change that maybe have more significance. So uh, the more tools we can give people to make sense of this context and form their own ideas about the future and their own plans that are unique to them, the better. So you also included um, in the forecast the, uh, some provocations. What is the purpose of the provocations and you know, how are they organized? Or maybe even you want to highlight one of them, um, why you included it, why it's important, why it's relevant yeah. to us. Yeah, so the provocations would be the images of the future, right? So if we were to wind all these trends and changes out that are contained in these five drivers of change, what does it mean, right? So this is the so part. So what, what might be made possible by by these changes and we kind of cluster them um really not so much by by driver because the, these drivers are sort of interdependent right they're they're messy the, the 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 bounds of these things can be fairly porous right it, you know certainly that automating choices driver you could see elements of that in civic super uh, to supercharge civic action. So those bounds are, are somewhat porous, but we did see really clusters that kind of hover around. So we, we're still kind of grappling with language and how we speak about these, but the way that we've organized the forecast would be we would go from driver to sort of big clusters of change to more specific images. And again, those images are, are possible. They're designed to get us to think like, okay, what might be made possible by these changes? So these big clusters include things like safeguards for efficacy, right? So if we know that there's all of these new and emerging technologies, how do we kind of safeguard uh, voice and choice uh, for students while everything's being curated? How can we use new technologies in novel ways, right? Safeguard our student data. Uh, things like how can we design around things like human-centered learning um, that puts the, the learner or the, the human in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so those would be a couple of clusters, but then that those kind of move to more specific, right? So um, things like might we have machine learning audits for educators, 
right? Mm -hmm. So can we agree upon a certain set of conditions for how we might employ machine learning for school? And can we almost create education seal approval? And as a district, could we audit ourselves on that? So is there going to be third-party collection of data that we're, that we're aware of? Uh, is are those machine learning algorithms interpretable? So as an educator, do I know the decision tree that this algorithm has gone through as it recommends something for my student, right? Can we look back on that? Is it interpretable or is it inscrutable, right? Uh, you know, other specific images as we looked at an idea of creating like an OER commons for machine learning and AI where you know, you'd almost have a GitHub of, of educators that vet these resources and say, hey, I've used it, I stand by it. Um, this is an easy place for you to access uh, you know, this narrow AI or machine learning and put it to work, uh, where you, you know, put it to work uh, for you it, within the context of the school. So you know, it goes, again, big driver, big clusters or zones where we see opportunity and then more specific images. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned earlier that these drivers of change look different depending on what one's role and context is. And uh, KnowledgeWorks has created uh, various audience-specific discussion guides uh, for district school, classroom leaders, higher education, and then education thought leaders and change makers. How might these different stakeholders use these guides to, to organize their next steps in terms of um, addressing the changes in the forecast? Yeah, that's absolutely. So the original intention with the, those guides was almost to make it kind of like a, a book club, right? So if you uh, and your colleagues had an interest in the forecast, it, beyond just kind of reading it and kind of a water cooler conversation of like, well, what did you think? Was there a more targeted way that we could organize it? So, you know, our intention would be that if there was an interest in it, to sit down with it and, and just to ask guiding questions. So again, it's it's how can we begin to kind of focus the conversations around um, the forecast just beyond like, wow, I find that exciting or that totally freaks me out, right? Um, and so we developed develop these guides that have targeted questions based on each sector that you mentioned. And yeah, it's really just designed to be a tool to guide you through it in some sense. Uh, based on, on particular context of, of that sector. So thinking about um, those conversations, and certainly we were able to connect to the future future possibility um, of human-centered learning, and we're really thinking about learner-centered learning. Um, and we do look at change in a linear fashion, and that is a, that is a challenge for us. And to do this work and to really transform, you, we really can't do that because you don't – you're, you're growing it as you grow it, so to speak. Um, so what do you see the future looking like for learner-centered education with this Forecast 5 in mind? Uh, so so my, my answer is that I, I think the future for learner-centered education is, is bright um, for a number of reasons. I mean, we've seen the degree of personalization or customer-centered uh, offerings happen everywhere outside outside of education right if you name an experience that, that's happening kind of a, a across those other sectors of your lives you can probably walk away saying that you've experienced at least some level of personalization there right all the way from 
news and ads you're showing to recommendations for what to buy to, you know, medical procedures. So I think that creates an expectation for users, i.e. the students, that, that there should be some level of a learner-centered or more personalized approach. So we've, we've got sort of pressure on the system to do that. I think we've got new realities for work that really play havoc with past notions of readiness, cultivate those knowledge, skills, and dispositions may be vital for the future workplace. We've got to look at putting the learner front and center and teaching to, to really their needs, their interests, and goals with the hopes of creating more resilient uh, learners that have high degrees, high, higher degree of agency and create sort of building blocks for true lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. Then at the same time, we've got the technological factor. So we've got you know, pressure from the employment sector, pressure from sort of your, your customer base, right? The user piece. But then when we look at, you know, like the drivers for automating choices the, and things like big data and data analytics that allow us to uncover deeper insights into who our learners are, um, really beginning to get to their needs, interests, and goals and parse out really lots and lots of choice to begin to, to give them um, experiences and content that they find engaging that you need them. Uh, so I think all all of those factors begin to kind of combine and coalesce and get us to a place that not only is this desirable, it's, it's plausible mm -hmm. and probable, right? It's no longer a vision. And we're, we're seeing this crop up in a lot, a lot of places. I mean, there there is a true recognition amongst education stakeholders in it. We're in an entirely new paradigm mm -hmm. for how people operate with institutions and how they access knowledge. And, and you know, there, from our view, there, there's a true desire to put the learner at the center. Um, not that there hasn't been, but, you know, in our line of work, we've, we've gotten to work with countless stakeholders from across the country and even internationally. And one of the things that makes me really, really, really hopeful for the future is that, you know, even four years ago when we would talk about changes on the horizon, how things were different, people would oftentimes look at us and say, "We're you, got, you all are crazy, right? <laughs> um, this is, I don't see a need to change, right? And, you know, it, I don't believe these things are happening. Now we have folks that are going, things are totally changing. I'm on board. Help me make sense of it. So that's a very different narrative. So I think we're seeing our educators knowing that they're, they're these active change agents and having awareness of how they can shape the future, knowing that things are different and are going to continue to change and be different. And sort of that learner-centered framework is mm -hmm. a critical piece in creating an education system that's and flexible enough to keep pace with the accelerating change feeling in the outside world. Yeah, I think um, people better understand the why, right? We've spent more time. There's more content available. There are more resources, such as your own, um, here with KnowledgeWorks and the Forecast Five, that we were better able to understand the why. And when... I, I couldn't put it any better, right? It, it is, there is a deep understanding now of that why. Mm -hmm. And no matter how you get there, be it part of the, the 
content, be it podcasts like this, like people, they, they know, right? That, that why is guiding all of the choices they make. So before we invite you to share what's next for you, Jason, we'd like to hear a few of your ideas for our lightning response questions. And we added this new this season, and we find that we get a lot of resources to sort of look at next. Um, so with the opportunity to share some more resources, who's sure. one expert that our listeners should connect with to learn more about strategic foresight, either in or outside of the K-12 domain? Sure. So uh, there are going to be two. Wow. One is outside of the domain of K-12. He's actually a historian who has a deep talent for writing about the future. His name is Yuval Harari, and his book, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, uh, I think should be required reading for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, he's written two other fantastic books, but I think I, I would start folks with that one. Um, and then inside of education, uh, Dr. Peter Bishop. Uh, Dr. Bishop ran the University of Houston's uh, foresight program when I was a student, so I'm very biased here. Um, he is a, a top-rated futurist, but more specifically runs an organization called Future. So if you have an interest in foresight, futurism, strategic foresight, whatever you want to call it, uh, Dr. Bishop's mission is to create TV um, and content these methods into the classroom. So uh, this is a plug for his organization called Teach the Future. I think that everybody should think about the future, not just futurists. Everybody does think about the future. But I think when we think about all the skills that thinking about the future entails and the skills that we want to develop in, in our young people, um, Teach the Future is a phenomenal resource. Plus you can gain an understanding of some employing creating our work um so those would be my two plugs okay and another opportunity if there's another book that you'd like to recommend to our listeners what might that book be and why oh so uh the other book that i would recommend um isn't necessarily a foresight book or a futures book but i think it is awesome when we're thinking about change in the future and it's jo uh, joffrey west's book called scale uh, it was my favorite book that I read last year. He's from the Santa Fe Institute. He's a systems thinker uh, who's also very interested in biology. So he has a theory of a, like a grand unifying theory of scaling things. And scale. why do cities scale the way they do? Um, why do we age to a certain you know age and why can't we go further? So it's a very compelling thing to think about when we're thinking about how do we scale innovation uh, within the context of, of the K to 12 system. And it's just a fascinating read. So that it is, it's a book that I've been recommending to everyone. Um, and I think it's very applicable when we're thinking through, you know, how do we escape the trappings of thinking about change in a linear fashion? How do we scale up and create sustaining innovation uh, in certain systems? All right, last question. Uh, is yeah. there an online site or resource or other person from whom you learn regularly? Mm. There, there are quite a few. Um, so m one of my favorite resources uh, in terms of thinking about the, the future and that I go to a lot for research and inspiration would be the Long Now Foundation. Uh, they are a foundation dedicated towards 
thinking uh, in long-time horizons. So beyond 10 and 20 years, which we think about <coughs> hundreds and thousands of years, so like deep time. So they have great resources in the form of salt talks or seminars about long-term thinking that range from like gentleman I was talking about, Jeffrey West and his book Scale, all the way out to thinking about space travel. And so that that is an amazing resource. All the talks are free. And then lately I've been thinking a lot about systems change and systems dynamics. So I've been going to the cases. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll have to come back to exactly what Nikki's website is. I've got it saved in my browser. But uh, Systems Thinker develops tons and tons of really accessible tools and games for thinking about change and has been a great resource for me who is not always the best systems thinker there but uh you know anybody that's kind of interested in things like causality and origins and chaos uh nikki does a great job of breaking it down and making it really fun in fact a lot of nikki's resources play really well in a classroom with with high school students too all right, great. Thank you. We'll add those to the show notes. This has been a really fascinating conversation, and I hope uh, we get lots of listeners that want to be inspired or get inspired to make this uh, less, more, more of a core conversation around uh, what should be different in schools than an edge conversation. Um, so I think this has been fascinating. Really enjoyed it. So to, to wrap it up, what's, uh, what's on the horizon for Jason and KnowledgeWorks? Great question. So in the near term, uh, we are going to be engaging uh, with uh, a lot of education stakeholders in the coming months. And Randy, I, I believe you'll be there as well um, to work with our material uh, to really develop a strategy guide that I would frame as strategies for shaping the future uh, by education stakeholders for education stakeholders. So that'll be happening soon. We're completing a forecast on the future of young children and their families. We hope to have out by the end of this year. Uh, we'll be on the road quite a bit, uh, workshopping and keynoting and trying to make it out to as many places as we possibly can. And then next year, we'll start to do some deep dives around um, Forecast 5.0, looking at some, some topic areas that, that were generated, either that relate to the drivers or or to some of those large provocation areas. I'm not quite sure where we'll fall on that, um, so we're still parsing that out, but you know, look for some new publications in the next year or so, uh, first of which being the strategy guide, the second of which being uh, the future of young children and families. Exciting work. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. We've enjoyed the conversation, Jason. Lots to think about. And for our listeners to learn more about Jason's work and the work um, of KnowledgeWorks and the resources Jason shared, you can check out the show notes, variety of links there, um, including the books and websites that Jason recommended. Thank you both. Thank you. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about. Actually, in this case, we've got two questions with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. What is your why for thinking strategically about the future? And what's next for you after reading KnowledgeWorks New Forecast? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 5, Episode 26. 
And that's all for now. We'll be back soon with another conversation featuring another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. Thank you. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.